This Babylon B headline says it all. Biden announces he has secured pinky promise from Hamas not to use $100 million for terrorism. All right, coming up, new details. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just you cannot make this stuff up. Coming up, new details on why Israel is perhaps in, in delaying their ground invasion of Gaza. And it turns out it is mostly due to pressure from President Biden, just as we suspected. They also hope that Hamas will release more hostages. The head of the U.N., this is disgraceful, the head of the U.N. has made, Antonio Gutierrez has made just despicable comments justifying the Hamas terror attack. We'll play you that clip. President Obama is calling on Israel to show restraint. Here's what Obama says. Obama's saying, we'll, we'll, we'll read you what, what he wrote up, his blog post. But Obama says Israel, they can do anything they want to Gaza. They, can, they have a right to retaliate against Hamas as long as they make sure not to harm a single civilian. That is what Obama said. Just, you cannot hurt Hamas's human shield. But as long as you make sure not to touch and not to harm a single human shield, go for it. Do whatever you want. Unbelievable. Because then we're no better than the terrorists. Meanwhile, President Biden, Karim Jean-Pierre, are more concerned about Islamophobia than they are about anti-Semitism. Literally, KJP, Karim Jean-Pierre, will play the clip. She was asked about the rise in anti-Semitism, completely sidestepped that issue, that question, completely ignored the part about anti-Semitism, went into a rant about Muslims, about hate crimes against Muslims. In other news, terrorists have been crossing the southern border in droves. There's a huge spike in terrorists coming across the southern border illegally. I'm talking about the U.S., the United States' southern border with Mexico, the number of terrorists being caught or people who are on the terror watch list. Uh, at the southern border is at an all-time high. We'll tell you about that. Mitch, Senator Mitch McConnell, he refuses, the, the, House, the Senate minority leader, he refuses to back any single speaker candidate. I mean, Congress, by the way, is still such a circus. But McConnell refuses to, to back, to support any candidate for Speaker of the House. McConnell said, quote, I'm not an expert on the House. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm a Senate person. I'm not an expert on the House. So who am I to tell you? Are you kidding me? You're not an expert on the House. You're the head of the Senate. You're the head of the Republican Party in the Senate. You've been in the Senate. You have literally been in the Senate for decades and decades. You've been in Congress or somehow in, you know, in, in politics forever, literally, for, for decades and decades. You compete with Biden in terms of longevity in Washington, D.C., and you're not an expert. So who's an expert? I mean, there, there are people who are voting for the Speaker of the House who, like, weren't even born when you entered the Senate. There, 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 there are people all over the country who have an opinion about Speaker, and you're the head of it. This man is just a complete, I mean, it's just an embarrassment. All right, so, and, and so Congress, I guess we'll get into a little bit the Speaker of the House thing. I don't know. I just, to me, I find the whole thing just so distasteful. It's just like, it's so, it's so tedious at this point, and it's dysfunctional. Tom Emmer, that's the latest, the latest candidate to drop out of the, uh, uh, of the race for speaker, and he barely even got in, is Tom Emmer. Tom Emmer, Republican Tom Emmer, um, he, he, he basically was chosen as the next nominee. They do some kind of like private ballot amongst the Republicans themselves. They choose somebody to run, and then they hold the actual vote in the House with, with everybody, Republicans, Democrats combined. Tom Emmer was chosen, and I don't even think there was a vote. I think Emmer realized, figured out pretty quickly that there were not, he did not have the votes. There's nobody who has the votes, right? All right, meanwhile, crime is so bad in Washington, D.C., that the head of secur the security in the Senate is telling people in Congress, do not help stranded drivers on the side of the road. Do not stop. Don't be a good Samaritan. Do not be a conscientious citizen. If you see somebody stranded on the side of the road, keep driving, because 
It may be a trap. They may be a criminal. They may hurt you. Unbelievable. The mayor of Washington, D.C., meanwhile, she's upset that the police force is shrinking. The Metro PD, except the problem is she's the reason. She's the reason that there are so few cops in Washington, D.C., because she's the one who defunded the police. She seems to have amnesia. We will get to that coming up. Oh, and finally, this is my favorite. Are police dogs racist <laughs> against the blacks? I'm going to read. Yeah, no, 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 no. You can't make it up. There's an AP story that suggests that police dogs who bite a disproportionate number of black people are racist. They're racist police dogs because they attack a a far higher ratio of blacks than whites. Unbelievable. Welcome to the Akovem Show on VIN News, Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio, other podcasting platforms. Send us an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. We do get a bunch of emails. We do appreciate your feedback. That I was told to take a poll, and I'm not sure how that's going to work exactly, but uh, somebody left me a voicemail saying, especially now, the way things, we've been doing longer shows, we generally do them about twice a week, sometimes a little bit less, and somebody said, listen, people would rather have more frequent shows 10, minute long, 10 minutes long versus a 40-minute show twice a week. They'd rather have like four 10-minute shows as opposed to two 40, 30 or 40-minute shows. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly. So I was said I was told take a poll. Now that poll is going to be a little bit tricky. I'm, I'm worried about the election being rigged. You know, I'm worried about uh, I don't know too many uh, mail-in ballots from illegals. But you know, if you want, you can leave me a voicemail on the hotline, or you can email me at the aforementioned email address. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer a few, more shows throughout the week but shorter, or? Fewer shows, but longer. Let's not get into too many details about how many minutes or how many, you know, just kind of, those are your two options. And I think we could handle about three shows a week for about 12 to 15 minutes. That would be my guess, three to four, but I don't want to promise four, but probably about three, as opposed to one to two longer. So I am curious what your thoughts are about that. A caller left me a voicemail. Hey, Yaakov, where's your spine? This is what the caller said. Literally, that's a direct quote. Yaakov. You're telling me that you would take any Republican for House Speaker? You would go with anyone? You would support any Republican? The caller says, hey, what happened? You were sitting there slamming McCarthy. You were sitting there defending Matt Gates for ousting McCarthy, for vacating McCarthy, and you were critical of McCarthy, and now you're saying that you would, and I, I literally said this, that I would take a coffee cup with an R on it, I would literally take, as, as the House Speaker. I don't get, get anybody in there because as long as they're Republican, it's better than nothing. So that was the caller's point is, one second, a few weeks ago you're telling us how bad McCarthy is, and now suddenly you support anybody. You support somebody, there are a lot of Republicans in the House even more moderate than McCarthy. And look, my answer is very, very simple. And I appreciate the question, and look, anybody want to call up, you want to you know, bash me like that, you want to give me a hard time, be critical, please, please, I appreciate it. As long as we can hear each other out, as long as your point is coherent and there's a good back and forth, uh, you know, obviously, if you're just like it's just a personal attack and it's just like a, uh, you know, like, uh, like 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 you're just attacking me personally, but it's not an actual thought out or there's no real analytical point that you're making or you're not trying to disagree in terms of my logic. You just want to, like, hurt my feelings or something. I don't know. Even that I'll take. I'll accept. But, you know, but this is different. Call to make a great point. What happened to what I said a few weeks ago? So the answer is very simple. I did not say, I was very careful, go back, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but uh, I was very, very careful. I did not say, I think that Kevin McCarthy has to be ousted. I did not say, I believe that Kevin McCarthy is a bad speaker of the House, or it's time to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. I never said any of that. I was very critical of McCarthy. And and, and when Matt Gaetz, uh 
vacated, did the motion to vacate, and got McCann, basically ousted McCarthy almost single-handedly, I defended Matt Gates. A lot of people said, how can Matt Gates do this? He's hijacking Congress. Who does he think he is? They were all annoyed at Matt Gates. I defended Matt Gates. I said, Matt Gates has every right to do this. And it's unbelievable how somebody makes a deal, makes a promise, and then when they don't keep their promise, and then you follow through with a consequence, and you say, well, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, so here's the punishment we agreed on, then the person giving out the punishment is the bad guy. That's what happened. Kim McCarthy made a bunch of promises, and we're not going to get into all the details now, but he made a bunch of promises, and then he literally reneged on those promises. Matt Gates said, well, you reneged on the promises, and you agreed that there'd be one motion to vacate, one person, would be only one vote required motion to vacate, so... I'm literally doing what we agreed we would do. That's Matt Gates talking. And, oh, how can Matt Gates do this? Unbelievable. Who does he think he is? This is outrageous. This is despicable. He's literally doing what he and McCarthy agreed he would do. So uh, you have, Matt Gates has every right to do it. Does that mean that Matt Gates had to do it? It does not mean Matt Gates needed to do that. And I'm not saying Matt Gates, I would have been critical of Matt Gates had not done it, but I was defending Matt Gates and heavily critical of McCarthy. McCarthy said that he would cut spending. They raised the debt ceiling. They did not cut spending. Barely, barely, barely. They cut spending a tiny little uh, infinitesimal amount. You know, McCarthy promised he would release the January 6th tapes to the public. He gave them to Tucker Carlson. He did not release them to the public. From what I'm told, he didn't even really give them to Tucker Carlson. He just let Tucker Carlson's producers view the tapes and take a few clips. And there are a bunch of other promises that Kevin McCarthy did not keep. So, yes, Matt Gates. So, again, I, I, if, if Kevin McCarthy ran for speaker tomorrow, I would probably support Kevin McCarthy. So I'm not saying Kevin McCarthy should not be the speaker, but the discussion at the time was, did Kevin McCarthy deserve to be ousted? He did. Does that mean that I thought it was the right thing to do? I, I hear both sides. I definitely hear, you know, both options. But uh, I don't recall ever saying that, you know, I did not support Kevin McCarthy to be speaker, even though he broke his promises and I was heavily disappointed and critical. Hope that answers the question. And if you disagree, no problem. We can definitely respectfully disagree. All right. So the Israelis have basically said that Biden is pressuring them to delay their ground invasion. They said a bunch of Israeli officials, they said, listen, President Biden's sending us a lot of money. He's sending us a lot of funding. They, they're going to need a lot of funding, right? For this war, they're going to need a ton of, you know, any turn, they're going to need, obviously, military equipment and weapons and who knows what else. So it takes a lot of money to fight a war. So they're basically saying, listen, Biden's telling us, here's the stipulation. You want our money, you play by our rules. So John Kirby in public keeps saying, you know, they keep asking him, are you involved in the Israeli planning and strategic decisions? And John Kerry keeps saying, no, 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 we don't get involved in those things. Israel's a sovereign country. They're a sovereign nation. They have a right to make their own decisions about how to fight, when to fight, where to fight. And meanwhile, Biden is saying, don't fight. Do not fight. Do not let this thing escalate. Does that mean that Biden's going to prevent them from doing the ground invasion indefinitely? No. But what ha- what's happening is Biden is basically sending a, a, a lot of troops to the region as a, as a deterrent to prevent an escalation by the, the many, many terror groups in the region. You got Iran, Hezbollah, the Houthi rebels who are backed by Iran. You got Syria. And they're all literally waiting to pounce on Israel. And they want to wait until Israel is weak and preoccupied. So uh, Israel now, the United States wants to send reinforcements. The last thing Biden wants, as I keep saying, it would really crush the Biden legacy if Iran is involved in this. And if Hezbollah gets involved or the Houthis get involved or Syria... All those are proxies of Iran. So we're literally just a step away here from Israel and Iran having an all-out major conflict, and that is the last thing Biden. Biden would do anything under the sun to avoid that. So he is pr- pr- pressuring Israel like crazy. Do not let this thing 
involve Iran. Please let us bring troops in, and those troops will act as a deterrent to Iran, but we need time. Remember, every move that Biden makes right now is about what's best for Biden. Meanwhile, I, let's please not lose sight of the fact, I got to keep uh, re, you know, re, re, reiterating this, that President Biden is not only um, you know, not good for Israel, but President Biden is complicit with Iran and with Hamas. And President Biden has made our country a state sponsor of terror, and we cannot lose sight of that. All these people who are going and praising Biden and Biden's a hero, and I understand the Israelis are very supportive. They're very, very happy with everything, with all of Biden's messaging right now. As a caller uh, texted me the other day, because we have a texting relationship, this one listener and I, uh, he says, what has Biden really done for Israel? It's just about words. Talk is cheap. So here's the problem is Biden has propped up Iran. He has given money to the Palestinians, given money to Hamas. Nothing like this, nothing remotely like this happened under Trump. There was not a single war under Trump. They're rushing right now because Biden's president for another year till November. After that, there's basically no guarantee till obviously January of uh, 2025. And all of our enemies, you talk about Putin and China, North Korea, Iran, they're all trying to get in here. They're all trying to do as much damage as they can. And you see, they play the long game because under Trump, they waited. They didn't mess with Trump. Trump assassinated Soleimani, assassinated al-Baghdadi. Trump was tough on China, tough on Russia, tough on North Korea. Trump, he was so tough. And they were terrified to mess with him, as we knew that whole time. And, and, and then Biden takes office, and the world is on fire. The world's falling apart. At the southern border, they're sneaking in. Terrorists are sneaking in. We'll get to that. So Biden, he, he's been not only incredibly weak, but he's given billions. Trump crushed Iran's economy. And Biden has propped it up. Biden is like, she should be like the treasury secretary for Iran, because he's so, done so many good things for Iran, for the Iranian economy, and for the real, for the Iranian currency. So literally, Jeremy Boring, who's the um, co-founder of Daily Wire with Ben Shapiro, he put out a tweet, and amazing, this tweet did not get more attention, but this is a very, very uh, powerful and shocking tweet. Boring said that essentially Biden is complicit in the Hamas terror attacks. He said, uh, he said quote, Joe Biden is sending $100 million in aid to Hamas. He unfree, unfroze $6 billion of Iranian assets as VP. He sent pallets full of cash, or was participant, was a participant in sending pallets full of cash to Iran. And that quickly is making America the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Stop funding the enemy. So, and, and, and somebody else pointed out, responded to this tweet and said, by the way, that Hamas is using weapons that they got from the Taliban in Afghanistan. So Joe Biden actually provided and supplied the weapons, and we knew this would happen, because he left billions of dollars worth of weapons in Afghanistan, another disaster, by the way, and now the Taliban has shipped some of those weapons over to Hamas. So Biden literally not just provided billions of dollars in funding for terror, he actually provided the weapons. All right, so let's get to the UN chief here, just a total, total disgraceful human being. Um, he, he, he made these vicious, vicious comments justifying, literally giving justification for the Hamas terror attacks. He was, uh, spoke at the UN. Listen to this clip. The attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled their people displaced and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. 
But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinians. And he goes on to have the Palestinian people. Make no mistake, that last point is, you know, is, is he saying that uh, the Hamas attacks against Israel cannot justify the killing of, uh, of, of Palestinian, innocent Palestinian civilians? It's just, it's disgraceful. There are no words. It's despicable. It's reprehensible. And uh, look, look what he's saying. And, and you know, you, you gotta, it's amazing how he says this, all this justification. Well, this didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, his pronunciation is off there, but it didn't, it didn't happen in a vacuum. And giving all the basis and excuses and reasons why it's okay what Hamas did. Oh, but there's no justification. What I'm, all that I'm saying right now, because the Palestinians, they ran out of answers. So this is the only option they have, but that doesn't justify. Oh, and by the way, and that doesn't justify what Israel's doing right now. And that's the punchline here over and over again. Obama, Biden. The UN, we're hearing this again and again, is you got to make sure not to harm the civilians. Okay, it took a couple of weeks. The first couple of weeks, they were patient. The, the, the left is turning on Israel so quickly, and this is what we expected would happen because, yes, in the beginning, of course, everybody was in shock, and, of course, uh, public opinion was very, very strongly in favor of Israel. But as time goes on, this is exactly what we predicted. More and more Palestinian civilians are in harm's way, and that's even before a ground invasion even began. And it's all about, listen, Israel, you've got to show self-restraint. It's, 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 it's beyond it's comprehension. It's, it's just totally disgraceful. But you have to show self-restraint. Don't be like them and make sure not to harm them. Literally, Gaza and, the, and Hamas, they place innocent women and children literally as human shields sprinkled throughout their facilities, throughout their headquarters. And uh, they do it. They set, they set them up. They completely set the Israelis up. And everybody's just playing along here to the script of, well... You can't harm Palestine. You can do whatever you want to Hamas. Just make sure not to get all those human shields that are literally protecting, being used by Hamas to protect them. No, never mind bashing Hamas. And never mind calling, condemning Hamas for using the human shields. No, 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 no. We're going to condemn Israel. And Hamas knows this. They set this up. They literally, this is all planned out because they know that that's going to be the response. All right, so uh, Secretary General Gutierrez, he got... Um, Heavily, heavily condemned, as you can imagine, by uh, the Israeli ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, and uh, who demanded that he resign. Uh, Benny Gantz said, quote, dark are the days when the UN Secretary General condones terror. No, absolutely nothing can justify the slaughter of innocent civilians. Um, terror apologists cannot speak on behalf of the world. Maybe Benny Gantz um, demanded he resign. A bunch of them probably demanded he resign, but he, of course he's not going to resign. He, you know, they'd give him a promotion if they could, but he's already in charge of the UN. Um, all right, so why is Israel in, uh, delaying their ground invasion? There are a lot of different uh, theories, but there actually, had, there actually is a report in Axios from Barak Ravid, who's a veteran Israeli journalist, and he, he seems to be, look, who knows, right? But he seems to be pretty well connected. But before that, somebody uh, sent me an email at joshadvinnews.com, and he made this point about the delayed invasion. So I do want to share this point. Here, I'm going to read it directly. Quote, everyone is kind of tense and anxious as they wait for what is next. No one expected this two-week interlude before the next phase of the war. Political and tactical considerations aside, someone pointed to this interlude as a gift from Shemayim to restock on Maisim Toivim Zuchusim that Kaisal also desperately need. Maisim Toivim and Zuchusim Kaisal all desperately needs. I think it would be a huge tayelis if you have a chance to mention this idea to your large audience before the next phase. So this, this uh, listener left, uh, sent me this email 
saying, look at this. You know, you want to give whatever reason you give, why it is that they're delaying the ground invasion. Okay, but think about what's happening from a Ruchniyistic standpoint. Think about it from a Hashkafa standpoint. And we have two more weeks right now, uh, and, and, and even longer because it hasn't happened yet. But until the ground invasion, which is obviously a very scary and potentially dangerous situation, uh, so we have time to build up the schosim, compile schosim, more and more schosim, and uh, more and more mitzvahs, ma'asim toivim, Torah being learned, etc. So think about that, that, you know, HaKadosh Baruch a gift from Shemaim, a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, and therefore, I guess, not a reason to be anxious and antsy and tense, but a reason to be grateful and thankful. So just incredible, incredible idea there that was shared. Thank you for that. Um, but, but again, let's get back to the mundane uh, reasons on the ground, which is, number one, there are talks being going on uh, about releasing a large number of hostages. That, that, that's Axios, Barak Ravid, in Axios, quoting two Israeli officials. So look, again, we don't know if it's true or not, but it's really interesting that, and we're not talking about drip, drip, so far there have been four hostages released, Baruch Hashem, but obviously there's still so many still being held captive, so they're talking about releasing a large number, and Israel, now, is, is this a, a stall tactic by Hamas? Absolutely. What Hamas is doing is they're going to keep teasing and pretending that they're planning to give back potentially a lot of hostages, and they're doing that because they want to delay. Now, they're still being pummeled uh, from airstrikes, but they're worried about a ground invasion, so they want to use this as a stall tactic. But that doesn't mean that nothing will come of it. We could still be hopeful, but yeah, cautiously optimistic, if you want to call it that. Um, here's a quote from a senior Israeli official. Both Israel and the Biden administration want to exhaust every effort to try to get hostages out of Gaza. If Hamas proposes a big package, of course, we will be ready to do things in return, end quote. And the Israeli official said that once the ground invasion is underway, a deal for hostages will be nearly impossible. Not sure exactly why. Um, but they also said that even if a hostage deal is struck, the Israeli military, there's no way the IDF is not going to conduct a ground invasion. It's not like Hamas could suddenly, let's say they would release all the hostages, which would obviously be a tremendous, tremendous miracle. Uh, it's not like Israel would say, all right, you know, ceasefire. Well, we give up. We're not invading on the ground because Israel has to invade on the ground. That's non-negotiable. Uh, according to other reports, like I said, Biden is pressuring Israel to wait because he wants to make sure the conflict doesn't escalate lest it impact his legacy and his deal that he is trying to negotiate with Iran. All right, so unbelievable how Karine Jean-Pierre, she was asked about the rise in anti-Semitism, and obviously there's been just a very, very terrifying rise in anti-Semitism. She just completely avoided the question and decided to focus instead on Islamophobia. And there's a reason for this. There's a strategy for this politically, as I'm going to explain in a second, but listen to this disgraceful clip. Level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats, uh, and so... Uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. Uh, and certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab, Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And that is something you heard the president speak to in his, uh, in his address uh, just last, last Thursday. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab Americans, oh, or, or any of the communities. 
ways, and that is something that the president has sought to do and, and since day one. As you know, the president ran on on um, on you know bringing commu protecting communities, obviously, but bringing people together, the soul uh, uh, protecting the soul of the nation, uh, and so. Um, that is something that the president takes very, very seriously, uh, and um, we, we're going to continue to denounce any sort of hate uh, towards any American here, uh, and so that's what we're going to continue to be steadfast on. Again, he has he has uh, uh, advised, directed his Homeland Security uh, team to make sure that they're on top of this. Unlistenable. It's cringeworthy, as usual. It always is. I mean, it's just you cannot listen. And, you know, the, the part before she starts to stammer toward the end there, she's actually just reading. I, I literally, I would be... Totally shocked if she has any idea what she's saying. She's just reading it out of a book. It's very clear. She starts, like, shuffling through her notes before she really answers the question. And she's just clueless. She has no idea what the words mean. But putting that aside, she mentions right off the bat, uh, there, there's no credible threat. I want to put that out there. And then Muslim, 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 Islamophobia. Now, no credible threat. What is she talking about? There's no credible threat. So the one little second, the one little instance where she's actually addressing the question about anti-Semitism, it seems, not that she mentioned those words, she reassures us, she dismisses it. No, there's no rising in the there's no credible threat. I want to put that out there. Credible threat, there's people being beaten. There are these rallies going on, thousands of people in support of Hamas, and there are Jews that are being beaten in the streets of America. So no credible threat. This is not a concern. So dismisses that concern, and then Islamophobia and hate, and yeah, she mentions Jewish, she like throws it in under her breath at one point, but it's all about Islam. Now, this is not just coincidence, because literally the same day this happened on Monday, I discovered, I didn't see anybody else make this point, that President Biden actually put out a tweet, or whoever it is who runs his Twitter account. What was it with Elon Musk? Wasn't it Elon Musk who said that he demanded that Biden actually be in control of his own tweets? So, you know, Trump is in control of his own tweets, but of course not Biden. Now, um, Biden said, quote, as Americans, same day, he said, quote, as Americans, we must come together and reject Islamophobia and all forms of bigotry and hatred. And there's a, an image on the tweet, there is no place in America for hate. I've said repeatedly, I will not be silent in the face of hate. We must be unequivocal, no place for hate uh, in America for hate against anyone. We must come together and reject Islamophobia in all forms. Of, so the same day that KJP is sitting there ranting about Islamophobia when she's asked about Jews and about anti-Semitism, that same day, Biden, and I looked at this tweet before Karim Jean-Pierre, before that press briefing, I looked at, I saw this tweet of Biden about Islamophobia. What? You talking about Islamophobia now? And the answer is, yes, that's exactly, look at this. This should give you the chills. It's chilling how they're shifting the narrative. It's all about, when we talk about hate, it's about Islamophobia. Why? Because, again, the, it's been a few weeks now, so the Democrats are forgetting, okay? Not everybody's forgetting, but the Democrats are forgetting Israel. Yeah, that was a short-term thing, but one second. Now, Palestinians, civilians are being killed as collateral damage. They're being used as human shields. The Israelis are getting blamed for it. And there's another very important element here, which is Biden is getting a lot of pushback, a lot of backlash from the far left of his party. Remember, who has hijacked the Democrat Party? Uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and uh, Ocasio-Cortez, a bunch of radical leftist BDS supporters. Okay, the BDS wing of the party, of the Democrat Party, is very significant, and Biden has been alienating him then. All of this support that Biden's been giving to Israel, yeah, it's only vocal. Okay, he's, do, he's done very little for Israel, practically speaking. It's all vocal, like we keep criticizing. But that is alienating the entire BDS wing of the party. Biden's terrified of losing the support of Tlaib and, and Omar and Ocasio and, and, and uh, the, uh, the squad. So therefore now he, gotta keep, he has to keep throwing them these bones. He has to keep talking about Islam and Islamophobia and 
wait a second, the, the narrative has to shift. This can't be about the Jews because there's a lot of Democrats out there who don't want this to be about the Jews. So they're kind of, he, he, they under, there's an understanding here. There's a very, very silent understanding, but very real, which is like Biden basically, uh, it, was, it, was, it was like, listen, give me a couple of weeks here. Obviously, the Israelis are the victims. Obviously, look at what you know, radical Islamic terrorists did. Look how evil they are. So we need to side with Israel. But of course, that's not a long-term thing. This is the problem is Hamas played the long game. They waited for Trump to be out. They're willing to wait now also. You know, they're going to raise billions of dollars. It's, it's very, very frightening now um, when you look at how they're so patient and they're willing to wait for months or years to get what they want. But bin Laden did that with 9-11. He was totally underestimated. They kept, bin Laden kept doing these smaller-scale terror attacks, very, very, very horrific terror attacks, you know, bl- blowing up. The, the, you know, that ship, that Navy ship, and just, you know, a really, really very horrific terror attacks, but nothing near on the scale of 9-11, obviously. And bin Laden, they kept dismissing him, and, oh, you see that? He's, you know, he's not a real threat, and certainly not going to uh, gonna um, do anything on American soil. And Clinton, actually, literally, they literally had bin Laden in their scopes, in their sights. They could have taken him out. Clint, Bill Clinton refused to give the order. I think it was 1998. Look it up. So they kept underestimating bin Laden, and bin Laden was patient, and he waited, and he played the long game, and this is what they do. So Omar, Tlaib, they said, listen, Joe, you want, you want a few weeks? We, we'll give you a few weeks, no problem. But the narrative has to shift sooner or later. I'm not saying they even had the conversation. It's just understood. So that's what's really troubling to me. And the question is, it, will Israel actually cave into the pressure? Everybody's saying, listen, Israel's not going to stop this time until Hamas is eradicated, until they're eliminated, eliminated until they are destroyed. Okay, and uh, kind of like Trump with ISIS. Remember, Obama gave up on ISIS, and he said, "All right, listen, they're there, nothing we can do." And Trump said, "No, they're not. We're going to eliminate ISIS." So the problem is, is Israel going to be under enormous pressure to let up and to at some point declare a ceasefire? I'm not saying after the first two, three weeks of ground invasion, but what happens after two months, three months? I don't know. I don't know what the time frame is here, how long it could take. But that's really my fear. So on that note, Obama, and like I said, we'll get to the other news of the day here in a moment. Obama. Uh, and, you know, let me know. Give me feedback if you think we're spending too much time on Israel, too little time on Israel. I believe that this is right now, you know, the topic that everybody is very interested in. And, and you know, we're trying to cover it wall to wall, cover as much as we can while still not getting too much into the weeds, which is what we do. You know, I know I say that a lot. It sounds like a broken record, but that's what we try to do. Is So, uh, you know, if you guys want me to kind of shift gears, you know, I try to please here. So I'm open. So please let me know. But, you know, the impression is that uh, right now, again, we're not, we're not going to, it's not going to change long term, but it's still very, very fresh. All right. So President Obama, he posted an article on Medium. It's a blog post. And he said, quote, Israel has a right to defend its citizens against wanton violence perpetrated by Palestinian terrorist group by Hamas. And he fully supports President Biden's call for the U.S. to support our long term ally Israel in going after Hamas dismantling its military capabilities and facilitating the safe return of hundreds of hostages to their families. Still, the world is watching closely as events unfold, and any military strategy, Israeli military strategy that ignores the human costs could ultimately backfire. Already thousands, listen to Obama, quote, already thousands of Palestinians have been killed in the bombing of Gaza, many of them children. Hundreds of thousands have been forced from their homes. The Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis, it could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations, erode global support for Israel, play into the hands of Israel's enemies, and undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace and stability in the region, end quote. So there you go. He's saying, Israel, listen, you want to eliminate Hamas? Number one, notice, Obama, he changed his tune. In the beginning, his first tweet, which took three days before it actually was posted, he said, 
Israel has a right. And why do you think it took three days? Because he was trying to get a feel to figure out, all right, what's going to be the best approach over here? I need to keep as many Democrat voters. It's all about that. It's always about public opinion. It's always about, you know, sticking their finger in the wind and see which way the wind is blowing. It's always about trying to take polls and surveys and figure out, all right, what stance should I take here? Because I want to make sure I take the most popular stance. These people, they have no core. They, they're totally empty. They, they're devoid of any sort of principles or values. So, it, which, is, which is very, very disturbing. So Obama first said Israel has the right to dismantle Hamas. Now he changed it. He wrote, dismantle their military capabilities. Military, not, by the way, not terrorist capabilities, military capabilities. And then he says, but one second. Uh, you, you, gotta, you cannot ignore the human cost here. Already thousands of Palestinians have been killed in the bombing of Gaza, many of them children. Unbelievable. Um, think about that. Obama right now is, it's subtle, but it's not so subtle. He's slamming Israel for killing Palestinian children. It's unbelievable. And they're doing it as self-defense. and They're doing it for, for their own survival. And make no mistake, Obama's not just writing this in a bubble and, oh, look, it's nice to see what the former president. This is, they take their cues, Biden, and not just Biden, but the entire Democrat Party. They read this so carefully. They go through this with a fine-toothed comb. All right, what are our directives here? These are, Obama is giving us directives. This is, this is how they govern the party. All right. Other news of the day here. Coca-Cola quietly deleted a reference on their website to BLM. <laughs> BLM has endorsed um, the Hamas terror group, BLM Chicago. They, they literally posted this image right right after the attack, posted this image of paragliders. Um, so what happened was BLM Chicago supported Hamas parachuting into that concert and into Israel to carry out terror attacks. Well, Coke has actually erased to mention of BLM on their website. The website, I literally saw two screenshots over here. The website pre-October 7th, uh, pre-Shemini Atzeres, said that Coca-Cola donated $500,000 to BLM to support and empower the next generation of black youth. But now those words have mysteriously vanished. Coke didn't issue an apology or any sort of retraction, but they, don't, they no longer on their website um, pr- are proud of the fact and boast about the fact, brag about giving $500,000 to BLM to empower the next generation of black youth. All right, in Washington, D.C., the crime is so bad that the Senate sergeant, it's called the Senate sergeant at arms or something like that, has told congressional staffers do not help drivers who break down on the side of the road. Karen Gibson, the sergeant at arms of the Senate, has sent a safety bulletin to staffers saying do not stop to assist a stranger on the road. There's been a surge in carjackings. In woke leftist Washington, D.C., just weeks ago, Democrat Congressman Enrique Cuellar was carjacked. A congressman was carjacked uh, outside of a building that houses dozens of congressmen. I mean, literally, congresspeople can't walk outside of the Capitol without being in danger. And who do you have to thank for that? Thank the, the left. Thank, they, they can thank, the Democrat congressman can thank their own policies. Uh, by the way, this guy who, this congressman was carjacked, he literally supported the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Meanwhile, Republican Senator... Senate staffer uh, Amanda Pepper uh, was carjacked. More recently, an attacker actually stuck a gun in her face as she was walking to her office, terrifying. And the D.C. mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser, she seems pretty shocked at the shortage of police officers in D.C. police, which is called Metro PD. Well, it seems she's forgotten that she's the reason that the police force is shrinking. And uh, dramatically shrinking, by the way, they've lost 300 to 400 officers, which is a lot. They've lost 300 to 300, 400 officers it means they can't replace those. And their force apparently, we're not talking New York City over here. I believe I saw their force has something like 4,000 officers. So that's 10% of their police force has shrunk, has just vanished. And 
they cannot find replacements. So she made this announcement. She lamented the fact that there are not as many officers being trained as the ones who are retiring and by, by far, and she blamed, quote, policies that make it difficult to recruit new officers. She's blaming these mystery policies that make it difficult to recruit, recruit new police officers. So listen to the drop over here. I have the numbers. Uh, like I said, they've lost 300 to 400 over the past three to four years. They've lost 280 officers over the past 18 months, and they continue to lose more. Well, their hiring uh, issues come, are traced back to the reforms that came, the defund the police movement, which, which of course, after the BLM riots and after the George Floyd riots, uh, the Washington, D.C. City Council uh, defunded the police, cut the police budget, and that created a hiring freeze. So they stopped hiring new police officers, which basically police officers, there's attrition, right? Police officers retire or step down for whatever reason, and they, don't, they, they stopped hiring. And the reason they stopped hiring is because there was no money. So, of course, that's going to lead to a massive shortage. Here you go. Since the year 2020, Metro PD has, has lost nearly 450 officers, which, like I said, that is over 10%. But it's just these strange phenomenon that they, 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 they have more difficulty recruiting than they used to. Oh, yeah, that's because they don't have money. That's because they defunded their own police force. All right, and finally, as I said, this is a quote from an AP headline. Quote, a police dog attacked a black trucker. An Ohio city is dealing with the aftermath. Um, let me just read you this article here. It's, it's almost like comedy. Quote, as Jadarius Rose drove his 18-wheeler through rural Ohio, a missing mud flap caught the highway patrol's eye. The trip ended with a police dog's powerful jaws clamping down on Rose as he tried to surrender. As he stood with his hands up beside the highway, at least six police officers surrounded him, one calling forcefully to the canine handler, quote, do not release the dog. That's actually seen on video where he says do not release the dog. Nevertheless, uh, a dog is seen on the video either breaking free or being set loose. At first, the animal's confused, racing past Rose, the suspect, towards officers, but then he turned back and ran for Rose. By then, the trucker was on his knees, hands still high, and an officer shouts, get the dog off of him. That day, Rose, I'm quoting you AP here, that day Rose joined a long list of black Americans attacked by police dogs, a history well documented by journalists, academics, and filmmakers. Investigations into such cases have launched regularly in recent years. For some, the scenes harken back to the civil rights movement when authorities turned dogs on peaceful black protesters. The AP captured one such attack in a photograph from Birmingham, uh, Alabama in 1963. Two police officers set a pair of canines on 15-year-old Walter Gadsden. One of the dogs lunches straight for the teenager's stomach as the other strains against his leash, panting. Over the past five years, controversial police canine attacks have made headlines across the U.S. So the implication here is they're, they're literally hearkening back to 1963, to like KKK-style tactics. Records viewed by the AP in 2018 showed Ohio State Highway Patrol using drug dogs in 28% of stops involving black motorists from 2013 to 2017, even though, now listen to this, listen to this, these bogus statistics, okay, these, these, the way they manipulate the statistics, gaslighting, even though the black population accounts for only 11.5% of people. Um, Salt Lake City Police Department suspended its dog apprehension program in 2020 after black males been an audit found 27 dog bite cases during the previous two years. So getting back to the stat over here, and I'll tell you a fascinating thing in a moment, but they used dogs in 28%. This is, uh, again, Ohio, uh, 28% of stops involving black motorists, but the black population only accounts for 11%. What did they forget to tell you? Oh, wait a second. What percent of traffic stops 
What percent of police traffic pullovers involve blacks? It's irrelevant how many blacks there are in the population. They used drug dogs in 28% of stops involving black motorists, but the black population accounts for only 11.5%. Well, but how many times did they need? It's not, it's not even about what percentage are black because it's 28% of the stops involving black motorists. But the point is that what is irrelevant how many blacks there are in, in percentage in po- the population? Irrelevant. They use 28% of drug dogs and stops involving black motorists. That must be racism, right? No, maybe 28% of the, of the pullovers of the traffic stops involving blacks maybe had a suspicion of drug use. So they needed drug dogs because they suspected drugs. It's not like, well, this is, well they, they suspected drugs because the person's black. They suspected drug, if they suspected drugs they were black, there would be 100% of drug dogs used in, in, in uh, pullovers, uh, traffic stops involving black motorists. So China, you're going to tell me, well, they don't always have dogs on them. I get it. It's irrelevant. The point is that statistic is meaningless. The, the fact that they use 28%, uh, uh, they use dogs for 28% of the uh, traffic stops of black motorists, and blacks are only 11% of the overall population, totally irrelevant. <laughs> it's just a question of protocol. Do you need to use a dog? Do you not need to use a dog? But it's absurd. They're, they're actually saying that somehow the fact that they use canines, they use dogs to try to uh, apprehend suspects when needed, and, and some of those suspects, or even most of those suspects, are black, so that means that the dogs are racist, or I guess the dog handlers are racist. It's insane, but I just want to end on this note, which is my grandmother, Allah Shalom, she had a dog. She, I was very close with that dog. That dog and I were very friendly. That dog was around from when I was born, literally before I was born, till I was probably about 13, 12 or 13 years old. And uh, that dog used to be racist. The dog literally would bite. But now, they would keep it on a leash, and they'd be very careful with it, and they would try their best. But once in a while, you know, my grandmother was not the, 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 the strongest lady in the world. She was pretty frail at a certain point, and she wasn't, uh, you know, was no match for, a, for an angry dog. And the dog was pleasant and sweet. The dog, we loved the dog. But every once in a while, it was the mailman, which I guess is kind of cliche, but that's really true, that the dog would attack the mailman. And the, when, when she would take the dog for a walk, the dog would sometimes lunge at black people. And she would, like, tell me this. She'd be like, yeah, the dog doesn't like black. And my theory is that, you know, it was just something the dog wasn't used to because the dog didn't see it as often as it saw. And it wasn't in the household and it wasn't part of the family. So that was like something that frightened the dog, not because not inherently, and obviously the dog wasn't a racist, but it hap- just so happened that the dog would lunge at people of a certain persuasion, and I'm not talking about Caucasians and whites, I'm, you know, specifically African Americans, was something that the dog seemed to be afraid of and would bite. <laughs> I mean, you can't make it up. That's a true story. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.